Soccer is an everlasting sport globally followed by millions of fans around the world. And we're about to dig just a bit to know more about the sport. Joining with me is Daniel Zeb. He's an alumni from York University of Canada, a soccer coach and soccer historian. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. So tell us, let's, let's do this. Let's start with soccer, the history of soccer. How did it all start? Well, uh, soccer might have been around for thousands of years in terms of variations of soccer, not exactly still with no rules, with no governing body, but just kids kicking a ball around. That's been dated as far as 3,000 years ago and around China and, and those parts of the world. Interesting. But, you just, uh, right. Sorry to cut off, but you did mention China. Yeah, so that's probably, um, so it's, it is very hard to determine specifically where something that resembles the soccer first started. But from what I know, the earliest uh, was around 3,000 years ago in China. But the earliest that I know of actually having a governing body and then having made the set of rules, that was in England. In England was the first instance in around the late 1800s, the 1880s, when there was uh, a group of people who sat down and they're like, okay, we're actually going to standardize the sport. We're going to implement rules. We're going to make it standardized. We're going to have a governing body. We're going to probably make leagues and have an England national team. So that's when it actually became the sport known as soccer or football in other parts of the world. Interesting. And I want to get into the little details as well. What did they have a, did the soccer ball, ball of today look like the soccer ball? Oh, oh definitely. the past that time De was it similar definitely not um the, the the old balls were made of leather they wouldn't uh, curve very well they wouldn't dip nowadays there is so much kind of technology that goes into the ball like uh, the way it's stitched helps implement curve helps it dip more quickly if it's sit in a certain way so now it's it is definitely easier to play with the new technology the astro turf the ball etc uh but yeah the ball has been an ever-evolving thing in the sport, but it definitely looked nothing like, like the way it is today. That's a very interesting fact, indeed. How how were the uh, how was the field, or I'd say the arena, a typical soccer arena constructed? Did they have the same middle ground, and did they have two goalposts, for example? Yes, uh, the, the field did look very similar. It was grass. There was uh, a line in the middle. There was a box. But the only difference was that uh, the goalkeepers actually in the early 1900s could catch the ball and hold it with their hands anywhere in their own half. So compared to now where they can only do so in the 18-yard box, they did not need to actually draw out an 18-yard box back in the day. They just had that middle line where the ball would, would be kicked off maybe a penalty spot and of course the the outline of where the like the size of the field the touch lines the goal lines and then the two goals on each side so there wasn't the six yard box there wasn't the 18 yard box just because the rules of back then you didn't need those those things on the field let's talk about the famous cards of the soccer game how did it all start the yellow card the red card is there a significant history in that part um, yes, I do know that uh, to a certain point, there actually was no referees when the game first started because uh, people thought, like those people that I was just speaking about in England, the FA, the English uh, governing body back then, thought that a bunch of gentlemen would never cheat. But as it turns out, when it comes to sports, even the most gentle and people, you know, they get into the game and they'll 
not maybe not purpose purposefully cheap, but just their point of views would be different. So you do actually need a referee to like handle the game, right? You, you do need someone who's in charge of, of the rules. So eventually right. they did implement a ref. I think I'm pretty sure cards at first were not um were not allowed like the concept of cards still had not been made right it was still just a ref like saying it's this team's ball it's this team's ball this is a goal it's not a goal there does have to be some sort of discipline for people that were taking advantage of those flexible rules so that that's when cards were implemented around like the 40s interesting so they just happened to say what could be a good thing to just pull out from my pocket oh maybe a card a little card that has a very solid color yeah, they basically just wanted to find a system that players would be kind of afraid to cross the, the rules now and then, you know, kick someone as hard as they can probably because there, there would be some players before that that would have been like, hey, a foul is a foul no matter what. So they would have probably fouled as hard as possible. So those cards kind of were used to restrict overly aggressive fouls. I want to get on the fouling just a tad bit. It's, uh, there are modern in our modern uh, times and mo some modern soccer games there are some fouls that look very suspect and there are some fouls that are very i'd say obviously caused by the opposing player but there are also fouls that are just like a flop foul did that sort of thing happen back then still uh, did they how did that start why do soccer's soccer some soccer players try to squeeze uh i'd say as much of a foul as they can if that's how we can interpret and is that true yeah so you're basically alluding to the fact that why uh, the game has changed its interpretation of the foul uh definitely a way a way it's developed is it's gotten less less rough because as we know in the 40s 50s 60s 70s even up to the 80s and 90s defending was you know, if someone gets the ball, you can go as long as as long as you get part of the ball first, you can take out the player after. It's not a foul. So that was before the interpretation of the foul. So the game in general, what was more of a contact sport, physical contact was more celebrated. It was more allowed. But then, as we get into the new the new century, the twenty first century, right. the foul interpretation kind of started to change. It started to be like. Even if you were to get the ball first, you still can't take out your man after. You have to get like mostly ball, barely touch him. And uh, I feel like I feel like diving has now uh, is now way more common because about like half a century ago to a century ago, people kind of had some. It was like a gentleman pride, you know, like no, I'm not gonna right. fall. We're all tough guys out here. But now it is there's all this money into it. So the games are there's so much at stake that players are kind of willing to do anything almost to win. Just to get and an that advantage. Would, exactly, and that even includes diving, uh, you know, faking an injury, faking that a player hit you, like stuff like that. Because there's so much money into the game, and it means, of course, it meant a lot now, but it's so much bigger and more global now that players that are just willing everything to do is anything. Important. Yeah. Let's get back to really quickly. So after the 1800s, soccer spread it out from the UK. And uh, I'm pretty sure there are other leagues formed in other countries. Can we touch up on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yes, the earliest, um, the earliest leagues that we know of are in England and Scotland. Both uh, in the UK, they had like a standardized system. They had a league table. Um, at first, there wasn't any relegation and promotion, right? Because um, 
there wasn't enough teams that were made to have multiple multiple divisions and relegation and promotion between those divisions. But uh, as the years went on, of course, there started being like a division two, and then the and then all just spread out. Yeah, and then it all spread out to uh, to other countries in Europe, and then to South America, to Africa, Asia, to so Asia, etc. And America, wow, that's amazing. So we're getting into the dawn of, I'd say, the modern day soccer. What should we know before we dip into the very current state of soccer? Okay, well, uh, th those times that I'm talking about are still in like about 1920, 1930, so it's still not even that close to now. Um, what important things that, that have happened in 1930, the first World Cup was formed because the game had become global enough that it was possible for teams in Europe, national teams, to play against national teams in other continents. Uh, the first World Cup, actually in 1930, was hosted in Uruguay, and it was won by the host nation. Presumably, um, a lot of people say because it was traveling back then was hard and, and all that stuff. So having being the host country was a, a huge advantage back then, right? Not as much as it is now with all the technology. You, you can take a private jet to wherever you're going. You sleep in a five-star hotel. It's not as demanding for the outsider. But uh, the early World Cups, there was a history of the host team winning. Therefore, like in 1930 in Uruguay, the host won. 1934 in Italy, it's Italy who won. Um, and, then and every World Cup happens every four years, I believe. Yeah, it's been every four years since, except there was a 12-year uh, break from 38 to 50, 1938 oh. to 1950, because of the, uh, the the Second World War that stopped the 1942 and 46 World Cup uh, to, to be held. So along the years, soccer also, the sport itself, evolved its rules, the way players play it, the way the field is changed. What are some important tidbits that we need to, that we can know? about the evolution of soccer? Yeah, definitely I feel like it's uh, it's important to note that uh, as the game has, has gone on, it's become more important for all the players to be able to play with the ball and pass it and, and do all these more technical things, as in back in the day, you could say in the 60s and 70s, uh, goalies and defenders, and especially goalies, did not need to be that good good uh, with their feet like a defender's job right. was mostly you know stop stop the ball from getting in the net just uh, the ball right and the balls poss possibly couldn't even curve at that time compared to today or yeah, do some amazing tricks by the players from the players yeah of course of course the fact that the ball ha has evolved has also helped the attackers gain kind of an advantage but uh the point that i was trying to get to is just the fact that back back in the 90s Defenders, their main job was, you know, stop the ball from, from going in the net. Uh, basically, as long as you're, you're you're quick, you're you're good at tackling, you're a you're a pretty big figure, you you would be a good defender. But now there's all these extra attributes that a defender must have. Like you must be able to keep possession of the ball. You must be able to have some good long passes. You must be able to control it and keep possession. So it's uh. It's, it's way harder now to be a defender, I would say, than back, than back then. Interesting. And I also want to note that perhaps goalies also need to have certain physical attributes. For example, yeah. being able to, to be lengthy. You personally, uh -huh. A team will basically possibly choose a lengthier and skilled 
uh, goalie compared to a non-lengthier but skilled goalie? Or what are your opinions of that? Uh, of course, first, uh, I'd like to touch on the skill part as definitely now goalies also have to be able to keep and retain the ball as back then a goalie would be mostly judged by how good is he at stopping the ball from going into his net, which is what we've known goalies to be judged uh, at primarily. And even though it is still important now in the present day, there are many, many instances where, where a goalie gets shunned out of his team or gets sold primarily just because he's not good enough with his feet. So let's say a defender has to pass him back the ball to keep possession. He needs to be able to control properly, find the open player. Like now that's become so much more important than it was back then. Um, in terms of his the lengthiness, it definitely helps if, if you're taller and uh, lengthier arms and have more uh, is more athletic because you're able to cover a bigger area of the net and get from one side to the other faster. But there are, of course, some goalies that have been average stuff, average size, about 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", that have gone on to be some, some, some really good goalies just because they have otherworldly athleticism. And also, be, I'm pretty sure they also were able to read the, uh, the field and the players. Yes, of course. Um, a goalie's positioning is one of the most important attributes. If you position yourself carefully and properly, there is no need to even dive on most times. A lot of goal, a lot of people think when they see goalies diving, oh, like this guy must be a, a legendary goalkeeper. But actually, some of the best goalies have just been so good at their initial position in the net that they're always close to where the ball ends up being just by reading where the ball is coming from, how the attacker's shape, etc. Now, does that also apply to penalty kicks? Can a goalie, how can a goalie? detect where the ball is going to go to from a penalty kick alone or is there no no um hints that the goalie can use the uh most the oldest uh, trick is just to kind of see where the standing foot is is pointing and where the uh, the knee of the of the player that's shooting the ball is is standing so if let's say a player is right footed and then he's going to shoot the ball at the moment that he steps his left foot to be able to shoot with his right like that on that last left foot when he he sits he puts it right beside the ball um you can kind of look at the player's knee and the angle of the foot and kind of detect which side he can go to of course there are attackers who use that to their advantage and make a goalie think they're going one way but then go the the other way but more times than not that is a way that goalies um kind of read the uh their instances of where the penalty might go. That's very interesting. I'm going to throw you a very, very funny question or thought that just occurred to me. Are they, will the league this ever think about maybe making the goal post smaller in, in terms of width just to help out the goalie? Or that's not ever happening? Or is it the right size? Um, honestly, I don't see why they would make it any shorter. It's not like soccer games are ending seven six for someone or ten to two like uh i, I think most games in most leagues range from 2.5 goals to three goals a game so i so feel the, like the goal posts are perfect yeah they're like perfect to times. me to me if there's too many goals it takes away from the art of defending and keeping it kind of tight you know like it's fun to see eight six maybe once or twice but it's not to me personally it wouldn't be 
as as nice to play the game if scoring was that easy. But also, we don't want to make most games 1-0 or 0-0. So I feel like now the fact that there's 2.5 to 3 goals a game, uh, the goal sizes are perfect, especially considering how good defenders and goalkeepers and just organizations have become. Oh, and uh, also... I want to add a very mm-hmm. interesting way that goalies now also help stop penalties uh, because of technology and all that. So a player, so there's times that goalies will actually study film and see like the last ten penalties that the most likely player to shoot because you know each team has like a standard penalty taker that they have faith in because he's probably the best at his job, which is scoring penalties. So the the goalies will go through film with some trainer throughout the week and they'll see like on his last 10 penalties this is his technique he likes to go right maybe because it just he practiced like that he likes to go right nine times out of ten so i'm just going to play the percentages and go right um there's actually a very funny scenario i'm an arsenal fan so this uh, this is close to heart for me but uh john layman in about in the early 2000s he once uh during a penalty shootout he pulled out a paper from from his shin pad and then he acted like he was reading it so the penalty taker would think like oh this guy has studied me and then he uh, like he knows where i'm gonna kick and it made him nervous enough to miss the kick but then uh cameras after the game gave like a, a behind view of the goal to see the paper that the goalie was looking at and the piece of paper was actually blank so it was it was all mind games so goalies sometimes play mind games to uh to scare to scare the attackers as well that's interesting. And that's, in this day of age, that's a very high level of sort of a very meta way of playing soccer. But now that we've looked into the history and the athleticisms and requirements of being a goalie, what about outfield players? What do can they bring into the whole team? Yeah, so I kind of touched already on defenders, so I won't stay too much on that, about how uh, back then it was primarily about your defending skills, just like a goalie, stopping the ball from going in the net, but now it's more keeping possession as well. Uh, For midfielders and attackers, I feel like the game has gotten so much more athletic because of the money we put in, the training. Uh, Like back then, I know a lot of players, even up to the 80s, it was cool to to smoke a cigarette and play a game like players used to smoke cigarettes players used to drink more but now with all the money in the game you know smoke is not allowed you gotta be in tip-top shape teams give their own players special diets they cook them their own food there's some clubs if they're towards the, the top of the european game of or or the world game they so they implement dietary restrictions, you know, no smoking, no drinking, you got to eat this, this, that. So now the game has been has become so much more athletic. So I do feel like athleticism now, especially in midfield and attack, is uh, is more is more important than it was back then, maybe. And also like stamina and stuff like that. And because of because more players are more athletic, you now have less time less time on the ball. So I'm someone who likes to watch old old tape of like the 50s and 60s up to the 80s and 90s but when i'm bored and i've noticed one thing that because players weren't as fit as they are now you had more time on the ball because they weren't able to cover the whole field as effectively as they do now so now in at a high level game you you get the ball in midfield or as an attacker and teams are so Teams are so well organized and so fit that within one to two seconds, there's someone tackling you. So you've got to kind of have a faster, 
faster technique, you can be skilled at moving the ball faster, etc. And they basically run back and forth for how how long is an average game nowadays? Eighty minutes, ninety minutes? Um, so a game is ninety minutes with a fifty-minute halftime in, in between, and then at the end of each forty-five, there's usually is a few minutes added on at the referee's discretion based on how much time wasting or how much time has been wasted in that half. It's normally ranges from one to five to five, six minutes at the extreme. There's times it, it can actually go to like 20 minutes. Let's say a player gets a, a severe injury and it takes time for the stretcher to come on the field, take him off. I have seen uh, some stoppage times added on to a half of like 10, 50 minutes. But those are very extreme cases. It'll mostly range from one to five minutes after each half. So it'll be about around 95 minutes for a whole game. Now, the last thing that I want to get into is that when it comes to the uh, popularity of the sport, perhaps you can share to us what made you love soccer. Is it because you grew up with it or did you do, you, do you like the tactics and how the players play? And why are there countries like the United States, for example, uh, that are not quite into the sport of soccer? Yeah, it's uh, first I'd like to touch on the fact that why I feel like soccer is the most popular sport in the world. Um, I feel like, I feel like it's so just because it's the easiest sport to play. You can get a few kids in just space outside as long as it's pretty flat. It's open to most populations, you know, low income, high income. It, it, it doesn't require much gear. Where, for example, I compare it to football, the American football, but that, you know, you kind of need like the gear. You have to have a, a specific football. There's a lot of money that goes into the sport. But soccer, you're able to just get a couple friends, have a soccer ball, get two pieces of rock on each side, make a net, and just play and have fun, right? So I, I feel personally mm -hmm. that's the main reason that soccer is the biggest sport. Um, in terms of why in the United States it's not the most popular, in my opinion, definitely... North America, Canada, and the States, especially not really Mexico, but Canada and the States, really the, the, the culture hasn't really caught up in terms of the love of soccer. It's not as out there. It's not as obsessive. Like what I know in Argentina and Uruguay and Brazil, especially in South America, every single kid plays soccer. You'll see them every day on the streets playing soccer, barefoot with shoes, 50 degrees outside, raining. Those kids play soccer. They just love the game. Here it's not not that much because there are a, a, other popular sports like football, basketball, baseball, you know, that have kind of maybe taken the attention away from soccer. So that's uh, partly why I feel like it's not as big here. But it, it is trending in the right direction, I can certainly tell. Okay, we're closing it now. Perhaps if you'd like to say something to a an aspiring soccer player, perhaps the people who are playing soccer or want to get into soccer professionally, what would you tell them? Any advice? Yes, definitely. For first advice, um, I have just two pieces of advice that my coach has been telling me and, and my supportive friends and all that. So first thing, just um, don't give up. Keep playing. There's going to be so many people that, that are going to say that he's not good enough. He's not big enough. He's not, he's not athletic enough. An example is Messi. He was 11 years old. He needed to take uh, growth hormones because he was something like four foot nothing at like 14 or some crazy. And then he, had, but there was someone that had faith in him and said, he's I also heard, sorry. I, I also heard he has, he had some sort of thyroid condition, uh, Messi. 
Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, uh, well, I'm not sure if it was specifically the thyroid, but that could have been what affected his growth. But I do know that he was very undersized for his early teens, for his age, around like 11 to 14. He was like four foot something. He was so small compared to everyone. But you, you would still see him on the streets dribbling past 10 kids and scoring like it was no big deal. But professional scouts were just scared that at the highest level, this guy might this guy might barely grow. So he might end up being like four foot eight full grown adults and that maybe wouldn't cut it in the big leagues. But there is uh, a Barcelona scout that was there that had faith in him that said, this guy is so good that if we could, uh, that it honestly would barely matter how small he was because he's just so good with the ball and without the ball. So they took him back to Barcelona. They gave him uh, a bit of growth hormones to let him grow, but he's still, he's still small. Like Captain America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pretty close, but he is still, he is still small compared to the average soccer player. But here, look at him. He's, uh, he's the greatest ever in my opinion. And second, um, the most important thing that I would say is just, uh, learn how to play with people because uh, just being a, a great dribbler, dribbling 11 players, there's a reason that no one no one does that very regularly at the top of the game because defending becomes so good and uh, the game becomes so organized that you have to know how to just play without the ball, uh, where to be. It becomes more IQ than it does pure skill. So also I do recommend watching games, learning about the game from a tactical perspective uh, and not just, you know, keep ups, rainbows and flicks and tricks. That's not going to cut at the highest level, though it is very useful. Okay. Well, this is Daniel Zeb. Daniel, thank you so much for dropping by and sharing your knowledge about the history of soccer. Thank you very much. It's been great. This is William, Time Machine Express with kpcradio.com.